Brank Hamalitic. Thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. The A&D Network proudly presents the Sustainability Awards now in their 14th year. You can find more information at sustainablebuildingawards.com.au. And today's guest is a person that we've never actually podcasted um, today, which is fantastic. Nikki Leung from LifePod Evolution. Nikki began her career providing design and project services to some of the most highly regarded architectural and interior design practices in Melbourne. As her interests broadened, Nikki's career evolved to embrace the incredible potential for innovation that new and emerging technologies offered. Combining her passions for design, innovation, and technology, Nikki assembles multidisciplinary teams to prototype pathways and solutions that inspire constructive change, putting the needs of our people and our planet front and centre and rethinking the way we design, build and live. Nikki's vision for the future is a positive one um, and involves Australian talent in a cross-sector collaboration to create real solutions to the many challenges and complexities associated with the increasing population Population and urbanisation across the globe. That was a that, that was a fantastic intro, even if I do say so. Well, so welcome to our talking architecture and design, Nikki Leung. Hello, thanks for having me. Um, I need to ask because you're in you're in Melbourne, uh, yes. or you know the the People's Republic of Victoria, as we call it. How are you handling our lockdown? Yeah, well, we're handling stage four 2.0 revision A lockdown really well. So um, we're, we're trying to stay across um, the regulations, which are, of course are really important and we all recognise that. None of us like it, but we know it's necessary. And um, we feel fairly privileged as a family that we, um, you know, have lots of work to engage us and that we enjoy one another's company. Um, but the monotony of the same location is wearing off a little bit. So we very much look forward to getting out and about when it's safe to do so. So you're still enjoying each other's company for now. <laughs> so, um, yes, so, we are. <laughs> so let's talk, I mean, you're an, you're an ambassador for the upcoming Sustainability Summit. Um, yes. And let's talk about that for a quick moment. Okay. Um, tell me, you, you've been to one of our summits before, which actually was the course that started to be live last year. Um, what are you expecting from the panel or panelists this year, rather, in terms of the presentation and information that will be discussed? I mean, is there something that, um, you know, someone with, with your, your knowledge and your, you know, finger on the pulse, as it were, would like to see? Um, well, I've thought about this at length because the perception of technology and where the intersect between design and technology occurs is different for everybody. Um, a, a lot of people picture that um, building data and automation is about making augmenting our lives and the performance of buildings, but I'm particularly interested in the deeper understanding that collection of data and, and the information can um, inform our design process in a, in a far more complex way. So it can help us to understand ourselves, um, other people and our environment in a much deeper way that can inform design in the future. So I'm looking forward to, um, with the particular panel discussion that I'm involved in, really looking at um, the layers of um, building 
auto automation and data collection and and how that can actually augment our designs into the future not just our lifestyles but actually bring us closer to the beauty efficiency and balance of nature by studying nature and our behaviors in more detail so that's particularly for that panel discussion but i'm also looking forward to listening to all of the other panels interesting panel discussions about um, sustainable development and houses in general speaking of developments i mean this year we were the first time ever we were actually supposed to be in melbourne but yes. unfortunately things or life or pandemics got in our way um we we're, were going to be online for the first time um, great and I've got to say that um, I've never actually been involved in, a, in an online panel. Um, what do you think? Do you think? Um, how do you think it's going to go? I mean, I'm I'm actually just 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 throwing the question out there because I'm I'm actually quite excited and also frightened at the same time. <laughs> I think, like all things, we're going to be surprised what it involves. I mean, um, client meetings and uh, discussions in virtual situation have included everybody's pets and children and, you know, things crashing around the house. And I think there's that sort of intimacy that perhaps we haven't had before with all the people who are involved, um, you know, the very human side, uh, side of these people who have expertise in the field that we're just, um, exploring. Um, so I, I really look, look forward to the, the bits that go well and the bits that don't go so well. And I think we'll all just go with the flow because we're so used to it now. Um, so technology-wise, I think some of the glitches that happen along the way are just as interesting as well. You know, when people go fuzzy or their yeah. voice starts sounding robotic. You know. um, but I think the discussion is still going to be lively and interesting and, and reflections of what we've all been through um, and how it translates onto the screen as we're watching the panel discussion will be quite interesting. Yeah, I think the worst thing is we all have to buy our own alcohol. But anyway, <laughs> oh, look. What, you're not going to um, send us a carton of champagne uh, or something? Well, I mean, we may well, but I'm certainly not going to be getting one. I know that for a fact. Um, um, in fact, I, I definitely think you may well be getting one, but I, I know I won't be. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, so you mentioned something to me um, earlier on the week, uh, what you call the three R's, reflection, uh, yes. reconnection and recovery. Okay, um, bar having to explain that to dummies like myself, um, how do these ideas actually fit into the, the built environment? Uh, and, and given given that we're in an era of, well, well, not an era, but we're in a global pandemic, um, how does it all now fit in? As opposed to how it did fit in maybe eight months ago? Yeah, well, I think um, we used to talk about um, reflection, reconnection and, and recovery in a different way before the pandemic occurred. I think we've all very much lived um, something together. We're all in this together, um, except for Melbourne, <laughs> who are in it more than everybody else. <laughs> um, but I think now it has a, a really special meaning. I think we all really need to listen to one another because uh, research has shown that, that the recovery from a, a situation like this that we've all had to suffer through like bushfires for instance the recovery can actually exacerbate the divide between us so I think 
in reflecting on what we've all been together and the differences between our experiences, it's really important to listen to those. And for the building sector, that means listening to those who have continued work and those who have perhaps lost work, what new work means, what, what the new world of architecture, the new era, era of architecture and design can involve. Is there retraining that we need to do? And what are some of the positives that we've discovered during this process that allows us to grow and to create environments that are even better and that perhaps can protect us and perhaps even prepare us better for the next uh, challenge, whatever that may be? Yeah, that's actually interesting. That, do you think that perhaps um, that that someone, people like you understand this, but do you think maybe the built environment still has to be, I guess, taught, if that's the right word to use about some of the things you were saying? Do you think maybe they're, uh, not just a built environment, a lot of industries, do you think that perhaps they're still thinking old world? I mean, as in pre-pandemic, uh, they haven't actually sort of migrated to, to, the, to the new reality? Yeah, look, I think it has to be a constructive kind of transition. So there needs to be acknowledgement that um, change in the building se sector can't happen straight away, but it needs to be a series of incremental changes that make sense. Um, and I think retraining is actually a really important part of that. That, that um, for instance, I'm a big fan of the idea of, of having a technology expert as a part of the collaboration for every project, because I think as architects and designers, we can't be across all of the technological aspects that should be included and that collaboration should be reaching out to lots of different systems of knowledge in order to resolve a particular design problem. And I think that is a step that perhaps old school architecture and design hasn't quite got used to making yet. Um, and sometimes collaborations take time to, people take time to get to know one another and really understand strengths and weaknesses and work together as a team. And I think that's another thing that perhaps can be uh, trained or, or at least emphasised during training of young architects, architects on the job, designers, um, how designers fit into the whole architecture and design world, um, and perhaps uh, reaching across sector and um, interdisciplinary to really find the solutions of the future because the complexity is great. You know, if we're going to really take advantage of diversity of thought, that's the kind of complexity that's very difficult to process as an individual. You need a team to, to get across that. Mm, true, okay. So <clears throat> it's interesting, we're, we're doing this interview over Zoom. Yes. Okay, which um, brings me to my next question. So there, there, have been a, there, there have been developments in AI across, not just the built environment, across the entire the spectrum. Um, we are being told social distancing is good, um, or, or in a case of people in Victoria, do not leave your home. But I was going to say that in terms of AI, do you think... For more than two hours. More than two hours. <laughs> um, do you think that with AI and, and with social distancing and, and how things are changing, do you think this, the concept of AI will, will perhaps be or the developments perhaps will be speeded up because I guess the more we can take humans out of a process, um, the better it is in terms of when we have times like this. Now, I've been, I've been reading that, that this is not going to be our last pandemic. Oh, joy, oh, bliss. But um, do you think that taking... Very true. 
Yeah, I know. Do you think uh, develop, developments in AI can facilitate um, our, our new reality and the new paradigm? I do, and I, I think that um, it has to combine with humans because there are inherent issues with AI that if it's relying on the data that's already been, it's going to have inherent bias. So we need to uh, really have that human input to make sure that the data that the AI intelligence um, processes has the right kind of nuances that we want to, for our future. So, but there is a problem of trust and that, that trust amongst the community, it, it seems as though the, the mood is, is generally that AI is going to take over the world, aka Terminator, or um, that um, we're, the con we won't have any control over it if we just let it go. Like, um, oh, I'm thinking of TV series like Black Mirror, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, but AI is just a tool, and it's the way we wield it that is important. So that, that requires a certain amount of understanding. I'm actually involved in a group at the moment that uh, is really exploring this issue and we're going to take the pulse of the community to really find out what what the feelings are about AI and work out if we can help sort of break down those barriers so that uh, we can build a, a framework of ethics that's right that enables us to embrace it and really run with it because that's the only obstacle that we've got is trust amongst the 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 general acceptance of this technology that it's going to it can be developed for good outcomes, um, not just the terminators and the robots that take over the world and our jobs. So th there's definitely a place for, I'm interested in the, the depth of data that we can get to really understand how we behave in environments and how we can predict, prevent and be prepared for the next um, challenge that architecture and design faces is that air quality is it our behavior amongst spaces is our is it our relationship with nature AI can help with all of that because it's all interconnected even social issues like equality and um, accessibility of co top quality design mass customization is one of those things that um, university professors talk about uh, robotic technologies with AI intelligence being able to create individual solutions that are right for an individual, but we can mass produce them um, with the kind of efficiency that might end up being sustainable long-term. So what you're saying is basically Skynet needs a, needs a constitution. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's not talk about Skynet. That's not a good look. <laughs> Because you know, I can't remember who it was. Was it was it Elon Musk or or was it one of those you know tech um, you know um, what you want to call it? evangelists if, if that's the right word um, who actually poo pooed AI just only only recently and they said AI, AI bad. Um, well, it can be, and and I think that this is this is what we're really uh, we need to address as a community and as a population. Uh, we need to understand that it's a tool and it's those who wield it who have the agenda. 
um, not the tool itself. So we need to set the agenda and we as a people need to really understand AI and take control of it um, and wield it um, how we want to create the kind of future we want, not, not the kind of future that, that business wants or that governments might want. Um, so I think we need to really understand it fully um, and what it can offer each of our sectors, whether that's the architecture and design sector or healthcare sector. Um, there are some industries that are already embracing AI and they've chosen to put, put an ethics framework over the top, but that hasn't been you know, part of public consultation or it hasn't helped the general population understand how AI can help us. So, so it's easy to put a message out there that AI is bad. Um, I'm not proclaiming to be an expert at all, but I can see its potential and I would really like to explore that further and, and have experimentation that can explore its potential for good. I think, um, or maybe, maybe um, poor old Elon was um, in another interview with uh, Joe Rogan and having those funny cigarettes, perhaps. <laughs> oh, I'm not, I'm not, um, uh, I don't think I'm, I know any more about it um, than anybody else on the planet. I certainly wouldn't um, suggest that I, I have greater knowledge than those who are well and truly into AI, but um, I, I do think it's a tool and we can't personify it. Um, it is what it is. Um, it's those who wield it, who have the power to, to um, create an agenda and we just have to be really careful about how we do that. And that, that requires education and practice. Do you think there is a, there is a possibility that we end up in, in a similar sort of way that what's happening with the internet where we have almost a class of, you know, a strata of society that's really net literate uh, and a strata of society that's perhaps a little bit blocked out? Do you, is there a possibility of that happening with AI where you have you know, a, a sort of a, a patrician class that understands and utilizes AI for whatever reason, whereas the rest of the great unwashed, as it were, um, don't really uh, uh, reap its benefits or, un or understand its, its potential? Well, I think with, with anything um, that affects the community, that is always the problem, is, is how do you build up um, an education level for a particular tool that... Um, so that everybody can wield it with accessibility and, and equitable access to it. Uh, I think that's, that's a primary concern. And so uh, really funding, training uh, for a general education for all things technology and how it intersects, because it will intersect with every walk of life, um, every aspect of our life. And I think like legal rights and like accounting abilities, um, whether we like it or not, we need to know how that, because that's part of life. And that education in these things needs to be provided and needs to be funded because uh, that's too right that there could, there is potential for people to be left behind. And I don't think that's right. I think we need to make sure we all have at least a general understanding that's helpful. Um, and uh, that helps us understand how it can be wielded for good or bad and to recognise when it's going down the path that we don't really want it to go um, and pull the plug. Is that possible? <laughs> Once you set AI in motion. 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe ask Dan Andrews that question. Okay, <laughs> um, okay so what's LifePod up to these days? Um, well, we have um, uh, the LifePod project is uh, it's essentially a concept for a prefab um, modular housing system. So it can be standalone or used together um, as a housing system. Um, so the majority of, of the people making inquiries about LifePod at the moment are people who are wanting to create a fantastic contemporary uh, place in their backyard on their property. Uh, but we also see it as the potential for housing systems that could help us with affordable um, housing, uh, in, slotted into underutilised spots in cities and, and um, as treading lightly on, on land um, that you could reuse for other things. Um, so there's, there's inquiries on both sides of that in terms of what the potential is for LifePod. So the LifePod's like an ongoing experiment and the more we get into it, the more we learn about what the potential is and the more research we do. So um, although we don't have a project that involves it as a housing system at the moment, we would love to. So Jan Andrews, um, any social housing, <laughs> um, uh, we, can, we can help you with that. Uh, but it's um, this kind of approach to housing is really the future. It is uh, the kind of um, mass customization, um, mass production of houses that doesn't compromise on individual response. And that's where technology can help as well. That just because you've got a small space that is made with, um, in a modular way doesn't mean it has to be the same space as your neighbours. You can tailor those spaces, um, personalise them, but have the efficiency of prefabrication and modular, modularised um, construction systems. Surely with the move to working from home, you guys should be um, you know, getting a lot of inquiries, no? Yeah, look, um, we, we do. Um, the biggest obstacle is, is um, funding for us. So um, we, we don't have a prepackaged solution because we're, we're very focused on research and development and doing this right. Um, and that requires, um, you know, an investor or, or some, some people who are willing to back the, the project through the design development stage so that we can get to a point that we're happy with. Uh, so for instance, um, this housing, LifePod housing system doesn't suit um, what we would call stick building, I guess. Um, you're not going to get efficiencies, um, the kind of efficiencies that we would like to see. But cross-laminated timber, it has lots of potential. So there, there's um, research and development, but the rewards will be great and we know it are. And we're, we're, we're chipping away at the research uh, on our own time. Um, and definitely there are, is a lot more interest at the moment, but um, we can always do with more. So, um, okay. yes. Uh, I guess you're going to have plenty to talk about at the upcoming Sustainability Summit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Nikki Leung, thank you very much. That was, that was, that was quite enlightening. I've learned oh, some. thank you. I love that. Um, well, stay safe. Take care. You've been listening thank to you. Architecture and Design. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Branko Melodic. Thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. The 
A&D Network proudly presents the Sustainability Awards now in their 14th year. You can find more information at sustainablebuildingawards.com.au.